that's where you're coming in. <laughs> how, so how many, like? I don't know, count it. <laughs> it's basically the first line I'm playing. Okay. Silence means consent? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Oh, 
Good. <laughs> Anybody have any cinnamon gum? Cinnamon gum? <laughs> Thank you, Josh. That was so helpful. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, that would be nasty. <laughs> it's a little sugar in. <laughs>
Any issues with that one? No. Any issues with that one? <coughs> Other than finding a place to breathe? Yeah. <laughs> Okie doke. is built on nothing less yeah oh gosh <laughs> which one are we singing i don't know that one <laughs> we're not doing that one <laughs> sounds now like that was in my head
One at a time, please. <laughs> Good father. I think we'll go through all five of these and then we'll decide which one to leave out.
Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, start with verse two. Is that where you are there? Yes. down and doing this is not easy either. <laughs> Deja was talking about that. As I get more pregnant, I'm sitting and I'm playing and singing. I can't. And there's not enough room to breathe. <laughs> no, you don't. It is not life or death. And you didn't even say please. It's 
Are you feeling confident in that one or not so much, Dan? I struggle with the rhythm on this one. It's kind of a, a nice skating rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> It's, you have to hesitate a little longer than you think.
really trying to get far away from that. Do I skip one? No. We've done all of them? All seven. <laughs> all seven of them? <laughs> okay, which four are we going to drop? <laughs> Is I there one you're not I Personally, and as a group, we're the least confident in Good, Good Father. Okay. But that's just me. You agree, Dan? I agree. It, it does have some yeah, funky rhythms there. <laughs> So, all hail Cornerstone. Whoops, I pulled the wrong one. We could, we could just sing all day. <laughs> uh, what? That's what I'm. I'm uh, Say good, good father. You need it. What? It was up against the Oh, and it was vibrating. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fine. That's fine. Okay. Okay. Let me see. Yeah. 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 Good, good father is coming out. Yeah, who you say I am will be the last one. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody today? Well, all right, let's all stand together. Somebody give the Lord praise or thanks for something He is or does. All right. <laughs> well, that's good. 
Yeah, right. So it's that's one reason to trust the woman, because he knows exactly what we need. That's right. I know. Yeah, I'm glad the Lord doesn't give us what we think we need all the time, so that's, that'd be a, a bad thing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> Good stuff, good stuff. All right. No one else wants to say anything. We're going to read from Psalm 144 today. Psalm 144 is a psalm by David. And David said, 
Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for battle, my fingers for war. He shows me mercy. He is my stronghold, my high fortress. He is my deliverer and my shield, so I take refuge in him. He subdues peoples under me. Lord, what is man that you notice him, the son of man that you consider him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Lord, rip open your heavens and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Send out lightning and scatter them. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Rescue me and snatch me from the mighty waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies, who raise their right hands to a false oath. God, I will sing a new song to you. On the ten-stringed harp, I will make music to you. To you who gives victory to kings, to you who delivers David, his servant, from the evil sword. Rescue me and snatch me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies, who, who raise their right hands to a false oath. Then our sons and their youth will be like full-grown plants. Our daughters will be like corner pillars carved to decorate a palace. Our storehouses will be filled with produce of every kind. Our flocks will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our countryside. Our oxen will pull heavy loads. There will be no breaking through our walls, no exile into captivity, no cry of distress in our city squares. How blessed are the people for whom this is so. How blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Now, I know in America we like to claim that, that uh, our God is the Lord in America. America is not a godly nation. Our God is the Lord, meaning God's people, the nation of Israel in a sense. We, we become the Israel of God in the church. And if God is our Lord, then all of these blessings, they chase after us. They follow us. You know, God protects us. God watches over us. He provides for all of our needs. So I wanted to share that psalm this morning to encourage everybody. Forget about America. Keep your focus on the kingdom of God, of which we are all a part, if we're a part of his body. Keep our focus on those things. And whatever happens to America, we know that we're going to be blessed. So I probably offended about 30% of the people in here, but that's all right. We'll move on now. <laughs> so we're going to sing some songs to the Lord. Before we do that, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name and angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal
seated. My, my, what a spirit. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, 
He's there in the midst. He's here, folks. There's more than two or three of us here. So, uh, This is the time in the service where we look back at, uh, at Calvary and remember what Christ did for us. But 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah wrote that, uh, that by his stripes we're going to be healed. I know there's folk here talking about people need a touch from God. But the Bible says that there's, there's healing in the atonement when Jesus died. He took those stripes on his back. It was for healing. And we know that because that's what the Bible says. So if you got something that needs to be healed, we take it to the master and he'll, he'll, he'll touch you. Uh, anyways, we're here to think about the Lord and what he did 2,000 years ago. I was going to read some scriptures, but I don't think my eyes are working too good. So we know he, that he, that he uh, broke the bread, which is his body, and he said, uh, do this as often as you do it. And he took the cup and supped. He says, as often as you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. And that's what we're uh, looking for. We're looking for him to come and straighten this mess out, right? Because we surely need him to come, and I want to see him. What about you? It's my desire is to look upon him. One of these days that will happen. So if you got your bread and your wine, uh, your juice, let's just take it to the Lord and remember what he did for us, okay? We ask in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this day you've given us to live for you as Christians, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, to show up in this service here today and bless this little uh, uh, service that we're going to do about what you did 2,000 years ago, Lord. Bless the, the bread and the juice, Lord, we pray. And we ask it all in the name of the King. And everybody said.
Good morning. Now is the time in the service for announcements. Um, if you are taking medication or vitamins and you have em empty pill bottles, um, you can bring them in for donation to Matthew 25. They use them for lots of different things. Um, used ink cartridges, if you're printing at home, printing at work, printing at your neighbors, we do that because my in-laws live next door. Um, <laughs> if their ink cartridges are, are empty, bring them in. Um, we can uh, recycle them and um, reduce office supply costs here at the church. Food pantry closed closets every Thursday, 5 to 7. Um, donations can be dropped off during that same time or Sundays after service. If you want to come and see what we do, we'd love to have you. Refit free dance fitness class, Tuesday, Thursday, 6.30 to 7.30 here in the sanctuary. Breakfast fellowship is the first Sunday of the month at 9.30. Breakfast is always better when we eat together. And it's a good time, especially during the cold months, um, to kind of get to know new people or someone you haven't met before. Mellon Ridge Ministry is January 29th at 2 p.m., um, bringing worship to the residents of Mellon Ridge facility here in Goshen. Lunch is provided by the church, and there is a sign-up at the welcome table outside in the foyer. Food and Fellowship um, is Wednesday, January 18th from 6 to 8 p.m. here in the sanctuary. There's also a sign-up. Um, if you're coming, if you plan on bringing something, it's important to know so we don't all get here and we're all hungry. Um, the theme, <laughs> the theme this, that evening is... Asian. So if you have any questions, let me know. Here are four different ways you can give to the church, which we support, um, you know, things that happen in the church, the building costs, um, lots of things going on in the community that we're constantly doing. So um, before I forget, here is a orange calendar for January. It lists everything that's going on through the month, other than I have not nailed down a date for the youth snow tubing, but that is something hopefully we'll do in January or February. So um, these are out there on the welcome table. And now starts your 10-minute meet and greet.
Chosen me, your love has. 
All right, I think I finally got it together here, so we're ready to get it, ready to get it. All right, so let's jump right into it. Let's turn together our Bibles to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1, sorry, verses 3 through 11, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, the title of today's teaching is How to Live a Glorious and Godly Life. In, first Peter, sorry, in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11, the scriptures say, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. How do we live a glorious and godly life? I mean, is that even possible to live a glorious and godly life? Well, Peter teaches us today in this passage that it is possible, and that's the, the exact exactly the kind of life that God wants all of us to live. He expects all of us to live. Peter teaches us at least two equally important truths that show us how God's promises allow us to participate in the divine nature, and through that, we're enabled to live a glorious and godly life. That's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your people. We thank you that we have the opportunity to gather here together to hear your word. We ask you to open our ears to hear the voice of Jesus, open our eyes to see the truth, and give us the will and the ability through your grace to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first truth we learn, or the first truth that Peter teaches us about, uh, about, what am I trying to say? (laughs) Teaches us about how to live a glorious and godly life is God gives us everything we need for a godly life. Now, notice Peter starts verse 3 talking about God. Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Now, the verb has given points to a completed action that has continuing results. It's a completed action that has continuing results. So when we're born again, God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he implants a new nature in us. And when we have God's nature in us, we have God's divine power, the power of God at work in us, giving us everything we need 
to live a godly life. And as Peter continues in verse 3, he tells us how God gives us his divine power. He says God's divine power comes to us through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So God's glory and goodness are two aspects of God's character, two of his godly characteristics, his divine attributes. And God wants us to know his glorious and good character. And this is not about a mere head knowledge of God. It's not just knowing about God. No, God wants us to know him through experience and participation. God invites us to share in, to experience his glory, to experience his goodness and all the other attributes of his divine character. And he does this so that by sharing in his divine nature, we can live glorious and godly lives, lives that bring glory and praise to God. God gives us his divine power through an experiential knowledge, through participation in his divine character. And how do we gain this knowledge of God? How do we experience knowing God in this way? Well, we find this in two places. It's in Christ's body and in Christ's book. Christ's body and Christ's book, through the church and through the scriptures. See, the church is the body of Christ on earth. The scriptures are the book through which Christ speaks to and through the church. Through the church and through the scriptures, we learn exactly what God is like, and we also learn how we can become like God as we receive his grace, as we experience his divine power in the church. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter 1.4, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So through God's glory and goodness, God has given his people many great, very great and precious promises. And we see, we see three of these promises, precious promises, in today's passage. God promises to give us everything we need to live a godly life. God promises that we can escape the corruption of the sinful world that's caused by evil desires. And God promises that we can overcome every evil desire. So by learning and applying the promises we find in the church and in the scriptures, we participate in God's divine nature. So to know what God is like, to know what you and I can be like through God's power, well, we need to know God's promises. We learn God's promises through his body and and through his book. So that means that we all need to keep gathering, just like we're doing now. We need to keep gathering to hear God's promises with other members of the body where we can hear the promises of God and participate in, in God's body together. And outside of these gatherings... We need to get the book. Get the book, right? We talk a lot about reading. We read this and read that. We need to get the only book that shows us what it's like to or or, or what it takes to get into the kingdom of God and to become like God. We need to get that book and read the book, study the book, meditate on the book day and night. And as we learn the promises we find in the scriptures, we should also do something that will help us to understand it. Sorry, we should do, let me start that again. As we learn the promises we find in Scripture, we should do so with this understanding. See, if we're, if we're united with Christ, if we're a part of his body, if we're sharing in his divine nature in the body in the church, then every very great and precious promise to the body in the book 
All of that is ours. And since nobody's paying attention, I'm going to go back and read this again. If we're, if everybody would stop coughing, it would probably be better. <laughs> just playing. I'm just playing around. If we're united with Christ, sharing in his divine nature, in his body, in the church, then every very great and precious promise to the body in the book, all of those promises are ours. Because through his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus inherited all the promises. And through our union with him, we inherit all the promises too. You know, I think too often we read the promises of Scripture through our natural minds. And we put our limitations on God. But listen, the church is a supernatural body, right? And the Scriptures are a supernatural book breathed out by a supernatural God. So our natural minds cannot help us understand the things that we read in the Scriptures. We need God to give us supernatural eyes so that we can truly see the hope, the inheritance, and the power that's available to us in Christ through God's promises. So we need to keep asking God to help us to see and to accept His promises and trust God to fulfill His promises through His divine power. So to live a glorious and godly life, we need to know God. We, sorry, we need to know that God gives us everything we need for a godly life through his divine power. And we experience that divine power through the precious promises we find in Christ's body, in Christ's book. And through God's promises, we're able to participate in God's divine nature and live glorious and godly lives. Lives that bring glory and praise to God. That is God's promise to his people. But Peter is not finished. As with nearly every other promise in the Scriptures, there's a condition to receiving this promise. And that brings us to the second truth we need to know to live glorious and godly lives. God goads us to make every effort to live a godly life. Goads, it means he's poking us. So I needed the G, so I had to say goad instead of pokes us. So he's prodding us. He's pushing us forward, telling us you have to make every effort to live a godly life. In 2 Peter 1.5, Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Now, what reason is Peter talking about? Why should we make every effort to add to our faith? Well, it's because God has given us everything we need to live a godly life through knowing him. Then you and I have got to get busy. We've got to stay busy adding the character qualities of Christ to our faith, these character qualities that make us like God. You know, many have wrongly taught that we cannot add anything to faith in Jesus. Anybody ever heard this before? You can't add anything to faith in Jesus. If you do that, you take it all away. Well, and they also teach if we try to add to faith in Jesus, then we cannot be saved. We're some kind of heretic. We need to be kicked out of the church. But those false teachers know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. See, faith in Jesus is only the beginning Submitting to Christ as our Lord, turning from sin, turning to God, being baptized into Christ, being born again through water and the Spirit, that's just the beginning. And that's how we get on the way to salvation. That's how we get united to Christ. But after we're united to Christ, then we've got to grow in our salvation. We've got to grow to become like God in true righteousness and holiness. And to grow, well, we've got to add godly character to our faith. we got to cooperate with God to be transformed into Christ's image. 
And what this means is living a godly life takes a lot of work on our part. So we've all got to put forth strenuous and sustained effort and keep working with all the energy that God gives us through his grace to live a godly life. We must make every effort to add Christ's character qualities to our faith. And the more, quali- more of these qualities that are in us and are increasing, the more we'll look like the Lord Jesus. And that's the goal that God has for each and every one of us. That's why God allows us to share in his divine nature. It's to make us just like the Lord Jesus, to conform us to his image, the image that was stained when Adam and Eve chose to sin. God's son became one of us. He united our human nature with his divine nature, and humanity and divinity have been forever united in God's divine divine human son, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And through our union with Christ, human nature is healed, and the divine image of our glorious God is restored in us once again. God's Son came to the earth on a, rescue mission, on a rescue mission to rescue humanity from the trash heap of hell. And if you look up hell, the word Guiana, that word is talking about a garbage dump, right? That's what hell is. It's a garbage dump. He, he came to rescue us from that, recycle our lives so we can be transformed into precious stones so that we can be used in the household of God. Christ became one of us so that through our union with him, we can live the glorious and godly lives we were created to live. People say, you know, uh, sin is like a, a part of humanity. It's really not a part of us. Humanity was never meant to sin. Hell was never meant for humanity either, right? That's prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus came to reverse all that stuff. Everything that Adam and Eve did, he came to reverse it so that we can live lives where always adding godly quality characters, qualities, godly, I'm going to say it again, lies where we're always adding godly qualities to our character. God wants us to be like him. So if you look at, in the Old Testament, right, you read Adam and Eve, um, they wanted to be like God, right? That was a sin. That wasn't a sin. The sin was wanting to be like God without God. That's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. God wants us to be like him, but only through him, through his grace, through his power, through his son. So he comes to give us the ability to have these qualities develop in our lives, qualities that bring us closer and closer to the immaculate image of God's son. In Christ, in the church, we are becoming the righteousness of God in Christ. And that means we're taking on the qualities of his divine nature. We're becoming righteous just as Jesus is righteous. As he was, so are we in this world. We're living as Jesus lived. We're loving as Jesus loved. That's God's goal for every single one of us. But again, this will only happen if, if we make every effort to add Christ's character qualities to our faith. People use the, um, the imagery of the wheel or God puts us on a wheel like a potter, right? They use that imagery a lot. And I think what people think about when they, when they say things like that is, so God has got the, us on this wheel and we don't have anything to do with it. He's just forming us and we don't have anything to do with it. Well, that's not what the Scriptures teach us. The Scriptures teach us He's forming us, but I got to cooperate with Him in order him, for Him to become or to make me what He wants me to become. So Peter goes on in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 to list seven of these character qualities that should always be uh, developing in all of us. He urges us to make every effort to add to your faith goodness, 
and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. I want you to notice that Peter begins this list with faith, and he ends this list with love. See, faith is the starting point. Love for God and for others, well, that is the end goal. To every one of these Christian character qualities lead us to love God and to love others, just like Jesus did. And I want us to talk very briefly about each of these qualities. First, let's talk about goodness. Well, here Peter echoes what he said a few verses earlier. God called us by his own goodness, right? He calls us by his goodness to a life of goodness, a life of moral excellence, a life where we do to others only what we want others to do to us. And God also calls us to a life where lavish good works done to all becomes second nature to all of us. And this is one reason that God recreated humanity in Christ, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Goodness expressed through good works, energized by God's grace, is what we're created to do in Christ. And we do good because we have the one who is good living inside of us. Because we participate in his divine nature, he makes us good. And as we stay connected to the fountain from which all goodness flows, the goodness of God will flow into us, and then it will flow out of us. And then it will express itself in good deeds done to others. But we've got to work out the goodness that God works in us. We've got to make every effort to add goodness to our faith. It's not going to happen if we don't do it. The second character quality we must add to our faith is knowledge. Knowledge. Somewhere Paul said knowledge uh, puffs up, but love builds up, right? So he's not talking about that kind of knowledge here. The knowledge he's talking about here is a knowledge that increases our understanding and experience of the one true God. And again, as I said earlier, this is only a knowledge we can gain if we're active in Christ's body in the church and if we're absorbed in Christ's book in the Scriptures. You know, we talk a lot about the Scriptures, right? We talk about loving, believing, and cherishing the Scriptures. But how many of us are dedicated to knowing the Scriptures? Those are different things, right? I can say I love the Scriptures. I can say I cherish the Scriptures. But am I dedicated to knowing the Scriptures? Knowing the Scriptures in a way that changes our thinking and transforms our lives, where we see everything through the filter of God's Word. Gaining that kind of knowledge, it takes discipline, it takes dedication, and it takes determination. And it does not come by accident or happen overnight, and you can't pick it up by osmosis or anything like this. So we've got to make every effort to add knowledge to our faith, a true knowledge of God that we gain through his word. Another character quality we must add to our faith is self-control. Self-control. You know, Christians should be known as people who are able to control ourselves, able to control our tendencies, our tempers, and our tongues, to control our appetites, our attitudes, and our actions. And I believe if we Christians would stop making every excuse 
for why we cannot control ourselves in this, this area or that area. And if we would start making every effort to be self-controlled in all areas of our lives, well, I believe most of the problems people struggle with in the church would simply vanish. So what if we made every effort to be self-controlled in what we eat, what we drink, how we dress and where we go? What if we made every effort to be self-controlled in what we read, what we watch, and what we listen to? And I need to remind you, nobody's holding us hostage at home, making us read and watch and listen to the things that we do, right? We, we make a choice to do that. What if we made every effort to be self-controlled in how we spend our money, how we spend our time, and who we spend our time with? The only way that we can know the answer to those questions is to simply do it, right? We got to do it. Let's all rely on God's power. This divine power. He's given us this divine power. He's given us the ability to make every effort to add self-control to our faith. Let's not go out here and be un- uncontrollable anymore, right? Go out here and be the men and women of God that he wants us to be, that he called us to be, created us to be. Be self-controlled in everything we say and everything we do. Another character quality we must add to our faith is perseverance. Now, this character quality allows us to courageously keep living a godly life, even in the face of strong opposition and evil. And cultivating this character quality will become even more important and more challenging as the day of the Lord draws near. Look around at our culture. Look around at a lot of cultures in the world. Living a godly life in an ungodly world is not easy. But if we want something easy, then we need to pick a different religion. You know, Jesus said the road to life is difficult. It's restricted. It's not going to be easy. There will be temptation, tribulation, persecution. But we will not be saved if we do not add perseverance to our faith. Paul reminds us of this in Hebrews 6, 12. He says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. The word patience is the word perseverance. Through faith and perseverance, we inherit the promises. It's only by adding perseverance to our faith will we inherit the things that God promised us, including the things we talked about today, all the promises that, that, are our, that God gives us in the church in Christ. So we must be sure that we're making every effort to add perseverance to our faith. Another character quality we must add to our faith is godliness. And this is probably not the best translation of that. This character quality, it's all about putting our religion into practice. And yes, I really did use the word religion. If the word religion has been mostly misunderstood in the modern church. Now, you might have heard or seen the popular slogan on this t-shirt, and I think it's on the screen. Yeah, you might have seen that or heard that before. Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship with Jesus. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever? Maybe you've said that before, whatever it is. So here's a question. Is that true? Now, I'm going to admit that it sounds good. It's got a nice ring to it like most cliches do. It's got a nice ring to it. But it's absolutely false. It's not true. See, that statement assumes that we can either have religion or we can have a relationship with Jesus. But we cannot have both. But that's just not true. See, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. More precisely, it's a relationship with God the Father through Jesus. But it's through the religion of Christianity that we have this relationship. And we cannot have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus outside of the Christian religion. The Christian religion is a certain set of beliefs and practices 
handed down to Jesus by the Father, handed down to the apostles by Jesus, and then handed down to the church by the apostles. And this is also what we call the apostolic tradition or the apostolic traditions. And it's by learning and practicing the apostolic traditions that people get in and stay in a right relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. So if you have this shirt at home, please go home and burn it. Don't give it away because now you're spreading false teaching. Whoever picks it up, don't take it to goodwill. We don't want them running around with this on either, right? If you see somebody on the street, tackle them and tear it off of them. This is false. No, I'm just playing. Don't do anything like that. I'm just playing. But I bring this up right here to, to just say that we as Christians, we fall for this stuff all the time. People put something on a shirt, we just fall for it. Oh, that's great. We need to start pointing out error when we see it. This is not, this is not true. Not true. And another thing while I'm on it, everybody who claims to represent Christianity, we need to stop allowing them to be in our camp. You get what I'm saying? So if, if somebody's over here acting a fool, they act all crazy, and somebody says, that's how those Christians are, we need to say, no, that's not how those Christians are. Christians aren't like that. They're not a part of us, right? Why can't we say that? Because it's judging people. We should judge people in the church. What, what Paul told us to do. People that don't act like Christ should not claim to be Christian, correct? And the people who are out here acting a fool, they don't act like Christ. We should say, well, they're not, they're not, they're not Christians, okay? They're not a part of our camp. It's okay to say that. See, religion is not bad, right? We just need to be sure that we have the right religion, the religion that God the Father accepts, as James reminds us in James 1.27. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So this is what Peter's talking about when he says we must make every effort to add godliness to our faith. We must make every effort to put our religion into practice. And that includes doing good to all, giving to the poor, looking after orphans and widows, and living a holy life by keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world. So it's good works, good behavior. Those things are true religion in God's sight. We must make every effort to put our religion into practice. Another character quality we must add to our faith is mutual affection. And we're almost there. We're getting real close now. Mutual affection. Now, the Greek word here is Philadelphia. Philadelphia, what's that sound like? Philadelphia, you've heard that word before, right? You might recognize it. It sounds like Philadelphia, right? And the reason it sounds like Philadelphia is because that's what it is. And you may know that Philadelphia is called the city of what? Brotherly love, right? It's brotherly love. This is why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love because it comes from that word, Philadelphia. It means brotherly love or mutual affection. And when Peter uses this word, he's talking about having a true affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ, a familial type of love. No other Christians are part of God's family, right? They're a part of our family, and we should have a certain affection for them, which God produces in us that we didn't have before we were born again. Now, a Christian named Justin, living in the first century, put it this way. He said, we used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Now, what Justin is talking about here is the conversion that happens in us. The, when we're born again, God does something supernatural in us. He changes us. God gives us the miraculous and supernatural affection for people that we hated only days earlier. God does that. Gives us affection for his family members. But 
Peter says we've also got to make every effort to cultivate this affection. Just like in any other family relationship, it's not always easy to show brotherly love to our brothers and sisters, even our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not always easy. Sometimes our brothers and sisters, they say things that we don't like. They do things we don't do. And even people we, we have the greatest affection for can sometimes get on our nerves. And if you've been married for more than five minutes, you know the truth in that statement. But we're commanded, right, to make every effort to allow God's grace to work in us, to give us a greater and a greater affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And one way we can increase our affection for one another is the final characteristic that we must add to our faith. That characteristic is love. We must make every effort to learn to love others as God loves us. Not just to learn it, but to do it. In, John 1, sorry, in 1 John 3.16, John tells us how to love like God. He starts by defining what love is. And it's so important that we allow the Scriptures to define love for us, especially in a culture that has, they say a whole lot about love, but they have no clue what real love is. And the way our culture defines love is actually the opposite of love. The way we define, our culture defines love is selfish. I love you as long as you have something for me. That's what I mean when I, when I say I love you. Biblical love is the opposite. It's sacrificial love. So in First uh, John three sixteen, John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, real love, which is God's kind of love, leads us to sacrifice and lay down our lives for others. And John goes on in verse 17 to tell us how to apply this in practical terms. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You know, it's easy to say we love others. It's much different to show we love others. We show our love for others when we put their needs ahead of our own, when we use what we have to meet the needs of others, and especially others in the church. We must make every effort to add that kind of love, that Christ-like love, to our faith. And in 2 Peter 1.8, Peter shows us the result of adding these qualities to our faith. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in, our, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of us want to be effective and productive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus? How many of us are not content with a false Christianity that talks about knowing God, but has not experienced the life-transforming grace of God? That we want a Christianity that has power, Real power, divine power. So to have that kind of Christianity, that, that kind of a Christian life, we must possess the character qualities that Peter mentions in these verses. And those qualities must always be increasing in our lives. Now what this means is there's always room to grow. The Christian life is a continual process whereby we, we're constantly being transformed as we learn and submit ourselves to God's will as we walk in his grace and experience his grace in the church. And this glorious and godly Christian life is available to everyone. Any one of us who will allow God's divine power to energize us and who will make every effort to add to our faith, 
where we will participate in God's nature and live a glorious and godly life as we become more and more like God. And that's what the world needs to see from Christians the most right now or people who profess to be Christians. They don't need to hear us talk anymore. We talk enough, right? They need to see the power. Paul said the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. Where is the power in the message that we preach? Where is the life-changing grace that God promised to give to all of us? We all need to get a hold of this truth, begin to walk in this truth, and then show the world what true Christianity really looks like. But what about people who do not add these qualities to their faith? Peter has some sobering words for them in 2 Peter 1.9. He says, but whoever does not have them, he's talking about these divine qualities, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now here Peter's talking about someone whose spiritual sight is just really messed up. It's nearsighted, you're blind, just totally messed up. Your spiritual sight is messed up. They did not do what was necessary to grow in a true knowledge of God, so they became blinded to the truth. And this is a danger, each and every one of us, we got to watch out for this. They're no longer able to see the truth. Their eyes are blinded, their hearts are hard, their conscience is seared. And they begin to do things they said they would never do. And as Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. And this is very scary to me what he's getting ready to say. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to our wallowing in the mud. Now, how many of us want to be a part of that group? I really only asked that question to see who was paying attention. Because sometimes you'll ask a question, and people just nod their head like, yeah, I do, I do. I do. <laughs> well, no, none of us want to be a part of the people that Peter describes here. And the good news is we never need to be a part of those people, right? If we'll just do what Peter tells us in, in this passage and what he tells us in Peter, 1 Peter 1.10, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, listen to this, you will never stumble. Never stumble. Notice that Peter, again, he, he reminds us that we must make every effort. The Christian life is all about effort. Now, it's God's grace giving us the ability to do that effort, but it's all about effort. We got to keep working. We got to keep striving. We got to keep struggling. We got to keep going in order to inherit the things that God has promised us. Now, this time, Peter tells us to make every effort to confirm our calling and our election. And what Peter is saying is simply this make every effort to be sure you continue in the faith that you were taught, the faith that was once for all delivered to you. Make sure you continue in that until the end. But Peter says we need to get busy. We need to stay busy. We need to keep on making every effort to confirm our calling and our election. We need to always be about our Father's business. Got to keep our hand to the plow, never looking back, always moving forward, keeping our eyes on the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, day in and day out. We got to stay laser focused on developing Christian character as if our lives depended on it. Because the truth is, Our lives do depend on it. So we must make sure that we're putting forth the effort it takes to enter the kingdom of God. And listen again to God's precious promise to us. 
if we make every effort to do the things that we've talked about here today, listen to this promise. We will never stumble. We will never stumble. Say it again. We will never stumble. And if we're talking about the Greek, it's even more emphatic. Peter's saying this, we will never, ever stumble. And that's a great promise. That's a precious promise. And that's a promise we all need to embrace, take a hold of, especially in a church culture that seems to think stumbling and falling is the normal Christian life. I don't know what year the song came out, but there was, and I don't even remember who sang it, but part of the song was, a saint is just a sinner that falls down and gets up, that falls down and gets up. Is that what Christianity is? We're just sinners that fall down and get up and fall down? Come on, man. This tells us that that's not true, right? But how many people ran around singing it? They probably still got it in there. They might have it in their, in their CD changer in their car for all I don't know. I don't, but, but again, going back to things, we hear a lot of things in our culture, especially Christian culture, that is just not true. And we've got to stop allowing those things into our minds, into our hearts. It just doesn't help us. See, stumbling and falling is not a normal part of the Christian life. That's what God's Word tells us. If we do these things, we will never, ever stumble. So let's believe God's Word. God is faithful. He will keep his promises. If you and I will do the things Peter describes in today's passage, God will keep his promises. If we keep on making every effort to add Christ's character qualities to our faith, if we keep on making every effort to confirm our calling and election, then we will never, ever stumble. That's a guarantee from our glorious God. Having said that, if you do stumble, don't stay down. Get back up and let's go again, right? But that's not the normal thing in the Christian life. We're not supposed to be stumbling around. As we close, in 1 Peter, sorry, 2 Peter 1.11, maybe I should have been in 1 Peter today. Peter tells us what we have to look forward to when we do what we've learned here today. He says, if you do these things, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that's what we're hoping for. We should all be looking forward and looking upward to our eternal home and the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is exactly why I said what I said earlier about America. See, God's people need to be shaken from our slumber. We put far too much energy, far too much time into worrying about what's going to happen with this country. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So we need to be reminded this country or any other country in the world is not our home. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom, citizens of heaven. And if we keep adding Christ's character qualities to our faith, we will receive a rich welcome from the Lord Jesus Christ into that kingdom. The things that happen in this world are just distractions from all that. Let's get our eyes on the eternal, the things that really matter. So when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, we who have shared his divine nature will then share in his glory. See, that's good news, right? That's big stuff. That's as big as it gets. It doesn't get any, better, any bigger or better than that. How about we spend our time talking to each other about that stuff? Stop worrying about what goes on in, in this world. Let's start focusing on the world to come because that's the only thing that matters. You know, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, none of us are going to care about any of this. We're not going to care who won the Super Bowl. We're not going to care about any of that stuff. We're not going to care who the president was in America. It's not going to matter. Why? Because everything here is going to pale in comparison to the glory that's revealed to us when Christ comes. So let's make every effort 
to make sure that we inherit Christ's eternal kingdom. Let's make sure that we keep on living a godly and glorious life through the grace that God provides us so that when Christ comes again, we can be like him, right? We can see him as he is, and we'll be exactly like he is. That's what we're all looking forward to, right? All right, let's all stand for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for giving us everything we need to live a godly life. Thank you for your very great and precious promises and for allowing us to participate in your divine nature through those promises. Lord, help us all to keep making the effort that's necessary to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus, to be conformed to the image of your Son, so that we can all receive a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom. Lord, keep us away from the distractions of this world. As we're being drawn away, Lord, draw us back. Help us to lead one another and teach one another to go back to you constantly, always looking toward the things of God. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, they're going to sing a final song. Before they do that, um, I just want to invite you, if you want to pray about anything, you're welcome to come forward. While they do that, there'll be people here to pray with you. Uh, if you don't want to pray by yourself, you can do that as well. If you're sick in your body, scriptures say, if, we, if we're sick, we're to call the elders of the church. They're to anoint the sick in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make sick people well. Now, in the context of this scripture, it also says, therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. So there's healing that comes when we confess our sins, right? Healing that comes. If if there's something you need to do today, then do it. People will be up here to pray with you. Um, If you want to know more about how to become a citizen of Christ's kingdom, how to live for God, how to become what God wants you to be, then I invite you to talk to me after church. I'll be around. You can ask me anything you want to ask. And these are not uh, the decisions we should make lightly. We should make sure we understand what we're doing before we dive into Christ's kingdom, before we forsake this world to follow Christ. We need to make sure what we're doing. So we'll do those things. Before uh, they sing this last song, I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.